we have someone to edit this. Okay. All right, so I'll save the, we'll repeat the OT Alice, our uh, Lincoln Duncan comment next time. Um, I noticed going through the material myself again this week, they're really, it's, it's hard to find a great point of departure because all of these concepts are so interwoven, interrelated. It's like, I wish we could talk about this now because we need it to talk about this, but then I need to talk about this. So, I, so what, what's going to happen is we're going to touch on things and I'm going to say we'll get more detail about that later. More to come, right? More to come. Uh, but it's kind of a necessary way, the way this material is so uh, complex and interwoven in these concepts. But in due time, uh, due process, we'll, we'll cover most of them. Um, I, just for starters, we're going to open up that first packet that we went over last week. And we'll go to actually the second page. And we'll just get started right there. Open that up. And then we can pull out one of those two long colored sheets, the one with, uh, without Hebrew on it. And those, those two things will be helpful here at first as we kind of work through the material. So if I, I kind of had a, an analogy for this week's material, it's going to be kind of like the air war, right? We're going to soften the target up. It's the air war. Next week, Hopefully we're going to get to the ground more, boots on the ground. We're going to actually get into the text more. We're going to work through the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, and see how the whole his, the storyline, the narrative of Scripture um, kind of informs us and gives us what we'll discuss as kind of a Deuteronomy 32 worldview. Um, but uh, to start out on some of the Air War stuff here... Um, in short, are the Ten Commandments, uh, what are the Ten Commandments? Well, in short, they're the unmediated direct revelation from God. Um, the first thing to note, and almost everybody I've read on this topic makes this, makes this plain. If you look um, in Exodus 20, uh, and God spoke all these words, God spoke. This is direct revelation from God. It's unmediated, not through Moses, not through any angelic being. This is direct revelation from God to his people. Um, it says, in fact, the scriptures tell us that the commandments are written by the very finger of God upon stone tablets. Uh, you'll see that there, you see, as you're following along the notes, Exodus 31 and 32. So it's God who's speaking. It's God who's writing the words, inscribing the words on the stone tablets. Um, Secondly, when God revealed the Ten Commandments, He employed the intimate form of the second person singular, you. We, we, we probably have read through this. I know I have in the English so many times and never thought about it. But if you just look uh, over on the colored sheet, uh, look down just a few. Um, there's a third line, uh, who brought you. Look down to be the sixth line. It's kind of it's red. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make. That is a second person singular. It is it is highlighting the fact that it is a single covenant people that he is speaking to you. This is not I'm speaking to you just as an individual, but I am speaking to you as a people. You and it's personal. Um, so. Uh, the, the distinctive use of the second person singular you there is important, and it shows that God's highlighting the covenantal oneness of the people. Uh, secondly, um, or thirdly, the number 10. I, this, this, I'm like, seriously, we're going to have to go through these little elemental things. 
but they all add up and they're important. Um, the number 10 in Hebrew often symbolized the concept of completeness. It also meant that there are no additions and that the tablets were written on both sides, as we'll see. You see that in Exodus 32. It left no room for additions to the text. Right? So the concept of 10 is symbolic in, in that this is the complete word of God. It's direct revelation from God, written, spoken by God, written by God to a singular covenantal group, his people. And it is it's representing the fact that it is uh, comprehensive. It, there is no additions allowed. It's written on both sides. And as we'll see, it's written in stone, never to be erased. Right? Um, it is prescriptive law. So all of these things already, as we just start to step into the text, are telling us many, many things, right? There's so much there under the surface. These are just superficial things that we can notice. Um, as we move on, are the Ten Commandments really commandments? This one surprised me. Um, actually, in, in, in the two canonical accounts, and we'll talk about that, the two places in the Old Testament where we actually have... Um, the, the full presentation of the Ten Commandments, neither, neither one of those accounts call them the Ten Commandments. They're actually in three other verses in the Old Testament. You can see them listed here. Exodus 34, 28, Deuteronomy 4, 13, and Deuteronomy 10, 4. The Hebrew there calls it the Ten Words. These are the Ten Words. It never says the Ten Commandments. Those are two different words. And Devarim for words and mitzvot for commandments. They're different words. And the text is calling these the ten words. Um, or whatever we call them, they certainly are commands. And, and, um, and, we're, and, and we'll see. There's a whole lot to that. Um, we can flip on over to the next page, literary context. I was surprised here as well. How many commandments are there? We talked about the, the ten words. Um, do, do most Christians and have most Christian traditions uh, and, the, and, the Jew, and the Jews and the, uh, in Judaism, have those traditions agreed on how many commandments there actually are? I was surprised to find out. In one sense, yes, because currently all, all um, Judaism and all Christian traditions agree on there being 10, but they're divided differently. And there's a point in rabbinic history, was thanks to the medieval period in Judaism, uh, where they actually counted 13. Because they're not looking at this as uh, for uh, just the imperatives, okay? The thou shall and the thou shall not. So they're counting these as 10 words, right? And they actually say that if you'll look... Um, if you look on the, the colored sheet here at the very top, you'll see the, the brackets over, over to the right. You'll see how, based on verses, how the different traditions actually divide the text into commandments. So in the West, the, the tradition of the Reformed tradition, the tradition of the Westminster Standards, verse 2 is considered the prologue. And as we'll see, both the preamble and the prologue. Um, but the... Uh, Judaism, modern-day Judaism, although they have ten, has that as the first commandment because they don't call it the commandment. They say it's the first word. This is the first word. Um, Roman Catholics and Lutheran traditions will actually take everything from verse two through verse five or verse six as uh, 
as the first commandment. So what I tried to do to kind of give you, to help you out to see how the text is divided, this first red line here, that's the first imperative, right? Then you'll see the second line below is the next one. So you could kind of track down, and red just means it's negative, prohibitive. Green, you'll come down here and you'll see them green. Those are um, positive, okay? So we'll, what we, if you count them all up, you're going to have, according to the Westminster Standards tradition, you're going to have seven negative, or eight negative, and two positive, right? So if we look at the division of the text, we would say in the Westminster Standard Tradition, um, the very first commandment there, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, then you'll see the second is a long section with an elaboration. There's actually an imperative there in verse 5, 5a. You shall not bow, you shall not bow down to them. In the Westminster Standard Tradition, we would say that that is an expansion of the previous commandment, right? That's why we're not labeling it as another commandment. If you just want to count the imperatives, you're not going to have ten. So that's, we would say that's an expansion. And then below that, where it's not gray, it's just white, we would call that an elaboration. Okay? And you're going to see it there. They use certain uh, um, subordinate clauses and things to elaborate on what they've said. But notice the first five how long they are and how short the, lo the bottom five are. Notice that? Majority of that text is taken up with the first five. But very short succession, you see the, the last five, right? And we're going to see why that's significant. But at this point, I just want you to see that there is difference among the different traditions on how they divide the text and why they divide it differently. Um, so, we can... You see that where they're positive, negative. You see where they're extending or uh, adding or clarifying the actual uh, imperative, and then you'll see where they elaborate on it with some of the, the uh, subordinate clauses. Um, so how do we divide it? Is it five and five, or is it four and six? Uh, different traditions will divide it differently. Um, you know, we stand, one of the things that you, one of the things you'll notice here um, that's part of the argument for those traditions that want to divide it between five and five, is they'll point out this statement, um, they'll point out the phrase, the Lord your God. Okay, and if you look through the text, I've kind of, I've underlined it, and you'll see it's uh, the Lord, um, Lord's, uh, you know, all caps, um, and then your God in blue, the Lord in purple. You'll see that phrase, and just count the number of times you see that phrase. You see it there at the beginning of verse two, there's one, we see it in verse 5, that's 2. We see it in verse 7, that's 3. We see it in verse 10, that's 4. We see it in verse 12, that's 5. So they count this phrase up, the Lord your God. It's a specific phrase in Hebrew. They're counting that up and they're saying, wow, that divides nicely before this huge change in both the cadence of the Ten Commandments. When you listen to this orally, you hear it. You'll hear the imperative, then you'll hear uh, an expansion and a clarification, and it's lengthy, and then you get to these last five, and it's I mean, actually in the Hebrew, it's one word. Each one of those commandments, the first three, I think, are just one word. It's very abrupt, very brief. Boom, boom, boom. Um, and so they'll count that up, and that's part of their argument for that. 
Um, another thing you're going to see, um, we'll see with the Westminster Confession of Faith, you can see where it, uh, and I'm just going to read uh, the Westminster Confession, uh, Confession of Faith, chapter 19, uh, number 2 of the Law of God. The law, after his fall, continued to be a perfect rule of righteousness, and as such was delivered by God upon Mount Sinai in ten commandments, right? In ten commandments, written in two stone tablets or tables. We're going to hear it here it said in tables, but tables or tablets. Um, the first four containing our duty towards God, the other six our duty towards man. And that actually says a lot. Because there are other ways of looking at how the text is divided. Um, I certainly agree with the Westminster standards. Um, that's a traditional Orthodox Reformed uh, uh, understanding of the division of the text. There are some alternate thoughts or alternate approaches, I think, um, that can be interesting. If you look at the, on this page, see at the top right, alternate one. If you look at alternate one, the text is here. It, the text here is divided by along three lines of thought. The orange blocks on the top and bottom are um, by what we uh, think, say, or do. Let's say those three color blocks. The first one by our thoughts. At the top, it's our thoughts toward God. So you shall have another, another gods before me. Thou shalt not make for yourself a carved image or likeness of anything. Those are thoughts towards God. The very bottom, the very last one, you shall not cover your neighbor's house or his wife or his servants, etc., etc. Those are thoughts towards man. If we, if we bring this back in and we look at verse 7, it's in blue. These are words. So words towards God. What? They shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. If we look at the bottom, verse 16... You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Words toward man. And if we look at the remaining commandments in, the, in purple, these are deeds toward God and below the line of the fifth, deeds toward man. So you have thought, word, and deed. Thought, word, and deed, both towards God and towards man. And, and I think you can make an argument that that structure is also present. And there's another uh, structural feature that some people, have, uh, uh, commentators have mentioned, and that is that the, there seems to be a sense in which these commandments are ordered by the seriousness of the offense. So if you look at the very first commandment, you shall have another gods before me, it's read, and look to the bottom, you shall not murder. And just follow the corresponding colors. And, I, and I've got more detail, obviously, of this in your notes, but you'll see... Uh, you know, the first group generally leads to capital punishment. The second, only the sixth and the seventh are capital offenses. And the eighth and ninth, lesser punishments are decreed. The tenth is completely different in nature. So there's a sense in which the seriousness of the offense or the seriousness of the, uh, you know, as you say, the punishment of the offense is relative. So there, there. The text itself is, is complex, if you want to look at it structurally. There could be, you, you could make an argument, I think, for all three of those, but I do agree with the Westminster Standards that the primary way we should look at the text, the division of the text, is in light of 
four plus six, four directed towards God, six towards man. The fifth being pivotal, right? In a sense, you can say almost the fifth command. Um, honor, uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, yeah. Sorry, the fourth. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Um, certainly would be, you can see the division why they say the sixth. Honor your father and mother would be more directed towards man. The first four, obviously, towards God. Some have argued that, um, that it should be divided five and five. You'll notice on here the length of the commandments. I talked about that, how they get shorter in the end. Some would say that, um, well, we'll talk about look, this one of those issues. We'll talk about that more when we get to, to the covenantal nature of it. Uh, there are eight, eight positive commands or imperatives, two negative, or reverse that, eight negative and two positive. You can see the red versus the green. Uh, how many tables or, tama- uh, or, or tablets were there? Um, there were ten. They were written on each tablet, the first if we look at the covenantal, uh, kind of the, the way that covenants worked in the ancient Near East, Susan Vastral treaties, things like that, that are the, the Hittite treaties that were influential in um, uh, the way that the commandments and this, these covenant arrangements are um, established, the suzerain, the primary, the suzerain, would get a copy and the vassal would get a copy. But this is not a treaty or a covenant between two deities, so to speak, a greater and a lesser. This is between, uh, this is a covenant of God with his people. Um, so you would say um, all ten were written on each tablet. Some would say that all ten were written on each tablet, where all ten commandments described front and back on each tablet. Um, some traditions would say, well, five were on one and five were on the other. Why were there two tablets? Who, where's the second copy of the law? Um, so that tradition varies. Um, what do the confessions say? Let me flip back to the prior page. The confession says they're written in two tables. The first four containing our duty towards God, or second, set the other six duty towards man. It would say. In the end, it's 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 impossible to know for certain. Um, there are theories on both sides. How many were on each tablet? But we do know that there were two tablets. Um, authorship. Who authored and wrote it? Well, in a sense, it was written by God. It was spoken by God. It was a tri- uh, it's directly, the, te- the biblical text attributes it directly to God. Um, God speaks in the first person singular. Over here, I put it, I highlighted that like before. Here, it's I. I, the Lord, your God. I, the Lord, your God. So every one of those, or not everyone, but for the majority of those uh, five occurrences where we see the Lord, your God, we'll see I. He is speaking in the first person singular. God is one. Um, biblical text, text stresses the divine origin, the completeness of the, connection, of the collection of, of laws, and its finality. I want to read Deuteronomy 5.22. See if you see those three things. These words the Lord spoke 
to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more completeness, finality. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone, permanence, and gave them to me. Um, Let's speak about the audience a little bit. Biblical text says the Ten Commandments uh, are the direct address of God to his covenant people. That's that second person plural or second person singular you, right? Um, It's a personal address. It's not a textbook for lawyers. I thought that was a neat phrase. It was a personal address. And Deuteronomy also emphasizes that the covenant's not just an extension of an ancestral agreement, but with these of us who are here alive today. But this is in Deuteronomy. And they've been in the desert for, what, 40 years? And the initial, the first presentation of the Ten Commandments was in Exodus, right after, what, six weeks, less than three months after they crossed the Red Sea? But Moses is saying this is with us who are here alive today. And that's something that we'll cover in more detail later. I I think we should look forward to that. Um, Are you giving me the... It's time to... I have four minutes? Okay. Um, So we're going to see... We're going to see a little bit more about the situation, the setting... Um, as we work through the, the canonical context next week. Um, as far as the text itself goes, uh, just maybe just spend some time looking at this and seeing if you, see if you agree with some of the way this text has been divided up. If you can see the imperatives, you can see how... I was fascinated with how specific the Westminster Standards were in affirming what I believe is the correct uh, breakdown of the Ten Commandments. Uh, before I did this, I looked at the text, just like you see at the ESV, and I said, okay, I'm going to try to see if I can find them on my own. And I was like, wait a minute, how do I distinguish between this and that, where the elaborations are, where the extensions are, the expansions are of the actual, the first imperative, the primary imperatives. But uh, as I broke the text down, as I looked at the different ways it's been approached, I was, I was encouraged with the care that the Westminster um, divines used when they wrote those very carefully parsed words about how the text was, should, should be looked at and be divided. It was encouraging to me. They took everything uh, with great care. Um, and they were, I'm certainly aware of different ways to approach the divisions of the text, but I, I do agree. And hopefully you will as well. You'll see uh, as you work through the commandments um, how they're expanded, how they're um, elaborated, uh, and see some of those uh, different ways that it can be uh, analyzed. Any questions for now? Yeah? Is there some purpose as to why you break them down instead of just reading them? Well, I think it just gives us a different perspective on the text. And, and part of that would be because there is, there is meaning in uh, that is in, in, in uh, especially in biblical Hebrew, there is meaning that is uh, conveyed through the structure of the text, whether it's through the use of chiasms. There are certain textual features in the way in which Old Testament writers wrote where they are communicating more to us than what we might hear, especially when it's translated into, let's say, English. And so that's why I say when we look at the text uh, in an English translation, as good as they are, and some are really, really good, um, 
Uh, I think it's helpful to when we do things like this to look at the text as best we can, identify the underlying structure, if it's significant and affects meaning. And in this case, like so many others, it, it does or it can. And that's why, you know, for a large period of Jewish history, they could say that there were 13 words and not 10 commandments. Because the first one obviously is not an imperative. It's a declarative statement. I am the Lord your God. And it's, it's the preamble and the prologue. Uh, and and they're saying that's a that's a, a a word, and it technically is, but is we wouldn't consider it a specifically a commandment, but they did, um, and so part of that's just the way that they chose to break the text down, and they're going literally. It never says ten commandments in the scriptures; it says ten words, and so little things like that. And so I wanted you to be able to see, and so. Uh, maybe to help bring out where the emphasis is and the fact that um, there is structure and design elements. You see that in the Psalms. Uh, you see that in Old Testament narrative. Um, we'll see it uh, in, in various places. Yeah, uh, and we've got, we're getting into that next week, but... Um, if you want to read ahead, you're going to see some of that. There's actually going to be four different things, uh, kind of what I call hermeneutical concepts. Um, there's four of them. Uh, ways that the law has been analyzed or used. Things that we want to keep in mind or reflect on when we look at uh, the use of law in um, the Old Testament. But it's in there, so um, I wish I could go over more, <laughs> but time escapes us. Um, let me just close this out in prayer real quick. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for all of those who are here today, your people. Um, we love you. Uh, we lift up your name. We thank you that we can worship here together, that we, could, that we have this privilege to read your word to us and, um, and reflect upon what that means for all of us. We love you, and we thank you for all things in Christ's name. Amen.